0: up there, we're going to go through the whole thing, it's 24 verses, uh, so we're going to go through it a little by little, but uh, as we begin, I have a question for you, how many close friends do you have? One, two, more than 10, I know it's kind of a weird question, but there's a survey that came out this week, uh, and it's actually a survey that backs up from one that came out in 1990. And so in 1990, people were asked this question, how many close friends do you have? And back then, uh, 33% of people said they had more than 10 friends that were the, they would call close friends. How many do you think people said today? Well, about 12% said they had close, or excuse me, 13%. This now, I think they have 10 or more close friends. And On the other end of the spectrum, it's, it's the same thing, except the reverse. Back then, 3% of people said they had none about 3% of Americans said they, they don't have any close friends. But now it's up to 12%. That's a problem. And this isn't something that is new. This is something that uh, you know, people that do this kind of research have been watching over year, over year, there's something wrong with the way that we build relationships, and that's a problem because we are created for relationships. We're created to gather together and to get to know people and to be in community groups and to interact and for people to know what's going on in my life and for you to know or for me to know what's going on in your life and, and to celebrate when you get a new job or when you have a child or when you're getting married and to mourn with you when you have someone who you've lost, a loved one, or, or there's a relationship that, that's broken or some other kind of issue, like to have that support system, to have that that community around you. We were created for this. In Genesis 2, God says, it's not good that man should be alone. And so he creates woman, and he brings them together. That's a picture of marriage. It's a picture of of, of all kinds of uh, marital relationship stuff right there, but that's also just a picture of humanity, that God wants us to be in relationship with each other, that we are built for community. And even beyond that, while we live in a world that seems to continue to uh, almost idolize independence, idolize uh, being single, idolize being on your own. It's hurting us. Right? We, if we're built for community, when we are, are lonely, that, that's painful. When we're alone and, and left to just support ourselves, encourage ourselves, build ourselves up, that doesn't really go so far. As we think about this psalm today, going beyond our relationship with other people, even more in scripture is this intimacy with a relationship with God. The one who created us for those relationships. The one who designed us and made us and brought us together. As we look at Psalm 139, we begin to understand that there is a relationship between us and God that is more intimate, that is deeper than we could imagine. It's do we wanna recognize it? So we want to turn to him and, and, and seek, seek after it. So like I said, it's, it's a longer psalm, so we're going to go through it. The first step, we're going to look at what it looks like. Uh, what does it teach us about God? Right? Theologically, what do we learn about who God is from this psalm? And then it's going to be a little more introspective because this is poetry. What does it teach us about ourselves? So follow along as I read from Verse 1. It is high. I cannot attain it. God knows everything about you. We, we call this omniscience, that God is all-knowing. And, and what this first section describes is he knows everything about you, all of your actions. We have these, these pairs in these verses uh, where there's this comparison. And what we see is, is he sees when you're sitting down, he sees when you rise up. Right? He sees uh, when you're going along the path, and he sees when you're lying down. And these comparisons, they're called merisms, if you're interested in that. Uh, they, they have this way of describing what life is like. And they're almost on opposite ends of the spectrum. And so when you sit down, when you're at home, when you're at rest, when you rise up, when you go, when you go out. The path, the way that you walk, the way that you live your life, the decisions that you're making, the choices that you're making, the actions that you're doing, what you're doing in your life, God sees that and He knows it. And He knows that it's you doing this and and her doing that and your boss saying these things. He's watching it all and He's aware of it and He knows you. He sees it happening. He understands what's happening. He he knows you. In fact, even before you speak, he knows the words that are coming into your head. God sees all these things. And he knows that it's happening. You ever feel like your mom had like eyes in the back of her head? Right? Like, like, you couldn't get away with, anything. maybe, probably when you're like a really little kid, because when you're a teenager, you figure out, like, how to hide the stuff. But when you're younger, I mean, maybe, maybe, I don't know. Anyway, when you're younger, right, you're, like, playing in the living room, and, and maybe you're arguing with a sibling, and you, you know, right, you know that you're not supposed to punch them, or, or tickle them, or whatever, um, and she's already telling you not to do things before you even do them. Right? You're thinking about it. She can hear the way the argument's going, or she can she can just sense that there's something wrong. Or maybe it's just too quiet. Right? Parents know what that's like. I guess. Um, right? They know what's going on. God knows better. Right? God has a better sense of of the decisions that you're making and understanding of what's going on. In fact, uh, it's in verse six again. It says, "Such knowledge is too wonderful for me." That, the the translation is a little difficult, but it, it's incomprehensible. It's, it is high, right? It, it, think about something high. like you, you can't grasp it. I cannot attain it. So what we have is this psalm, this song that people would gather to sing together in a worship service, and as they can begin to start, the psalmist gives us this picture of God who knows everything. right? Every action that's being done for every person in this room and outside of this room and across the, the world, God starts to, to, to be this God who has a, a power, an ability, a sense in which he knows all things. We have to remember this because I think we tend to limit God. We tend to limit God as though he can't understand what's going on in my life, or as though he didn't see them do that thing to hurt me, or as though he didn't see the things that I did to others. But God sees it. He knows it. And he knows that it was you, or he knows that it was them, he is continuing to be at work in the midst of all of that, and he understands that it is happening. He says, he can discern my thoughts from afar. We may not see God, but he sees us. He knows us. He continues, verse seven, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. there's no place that God cannot access. There's no place that you can run and hide. There's no place that you are where God doesn't see you in the midst of that, whether in trial or triumph. There is no place that God is not. And so as you begin to understand that he sees us living our lives, he sees the paths that we are taking, he sees the things that we are doing, we recognize there's no place to hide from that. There's no place to run away. Again, it goes from the highest highs, right? The heavens, this is how they viewed the world. The way that they viewed everything that we live in, the heavens, that is literally the universe, right? The sky, the stars, the planets, the the comets racing across. The heavens have this both physical and metaphysical understanding in this time, right? They see that as both the dwelling place of God, even the stars, the lights in the sky representing his angels in some sense, and then you have the earth, the place that we dwell, the land that we, that we farm and that we live on and that we have our families and friends in. And then you have underneath Sheol, the place of the dead. It doesn't matter where you would go. Whether you go to the highest heights, of course that's where God is. Or the lowest lows down into Sheol, the depths of death. You can't hide from him. You can't run away from him. This God is a God who knows. This God is a God who is everywhere. In fact, even in the darkness, I'll read that again. Surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night. Even that darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day for darkness is as light with you. We want to hide or if we want to run, whether, whether we're just curious or whether we're scared or fear, whatever it is, darkness is the best place to be, right? I mean, you, you play games when you're a kid at night because it's more fun in the dark because people can't find you. But, but here, darkness was a place of danger. In the time that we're reading this, we don't, we don't recognize it as much, especially living in a city like this. You go outside, you kind of just see everything a little bit like dimmer. I mean, last night, like, dustier. But usually, just you go outside and there's street lights and, and there's store lights and there's signs and there's car lights. And, and, you know, we don't really have stars, but there's some light from the sky. But back then, darkness was dark. I mean, pitch black. Outside of the city limits, a lot of the cities, especially larger cities, they would have walls for protection because at night it was dangerous. And so you'd stay inside those walls at night, because if you went outside, it was dark, and you didn't know what was going to happen. You couldn't see someone coming to ambush you. You couldn't see if there was danger. You, you, uh, Jesus teaches, actually, about this, right? Jesus teaches about um, us being a city on a hill, and the picture is that, exactly. You're, imagine being a traveler, going from one town to the next, and you know that darkness is dangerous. You know that darkness is going to hide and conceal anything that happens to you. That no one is even gonna know maybe because you're traveling across the desert from one city to the next. And then as as the sun has set and the darkness is setting in and you begin to see on the hill the city of the lights, right? The, the, The torches that have been lit around the gates. You can see this hope, this salvation, this because darkness covers everything in this time. You can get away with anything in the dark. But even there, God sees it. Right? People may not notice it. People may, may not recognize that you've been harmed or, or you've been attacked or things have been stolen until the day or maybe never because of, of whatever happens, but, but God knows. Right? The darkness, the darkest dark, the lowest lows, the highest highs, there is no place you can hide from God. He's all-knowing. He, he is everywhere, omnipresent. This is a God who knows beyond our comprehension. This is a view of God as though he is over everything, not a God who is limited by, by physics, not a God who is limited by the things that we understand in this world. This is a God who sees, who sees you. There's no place that you can hide from that. There's no place that he does not see into your life. There's no place away from God. And then we get to the Hobby Lobby verses. Verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you. For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious are you, are to me your thoughts, O God, how vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. So these are the verses you're probably most familiar with. Right? These verses that God knows you intimately. It's not just some uh, theoretical knowledge that God sees the way that you're going and God, God can't, uh, you can't hide from him, but God knows you. Remember this being a song that was sung in a gathering like this is something that they would be repeating over and over as services continued throughout the ages. This is a a truth that they continue to understand about themselves as well. Now, if we think about the the last stanza, the last section, the psalmist said you can't hide from God in the dark, and then he gives this image of of the most mysterious darkness that he could imagine in the womb. We have this picture of God having intimate knowledge of what's going on. I, I just had a son born in January, So I have talked about him a lot, probably, uh, because it's basically consuming my life, which is awesome, and just the season that I'm in, but it also is kind of applicable here, so I'm gonna do it again. Um, I watched as Lauren changed, right? Her her body, like, the stomach continued to grow, and and she was eating differently and and doing different things in order to to make uh, whatever she could do to, to make him healthy. But that whole process of like a child being formed in the womb is a mystery to me. I mean, I I actually, because of the pandemic stuff, I wasn't even allowed at doctor's appointments. So I would like be on FaceTime watching ultrasounds and that's like the only glimpse I had of what was happening. And so every like few weeks or couple of months, I'd see like the major change from like, oh, this is like a spot, a speck, that's a baby. so like, oh, that kind of looks like a head, and, and this is like a son, and, and then a human being is born in January, like, that's kind of the process that I get, right? Um, and I know for women, it's a little different, right? Like, you have this, this thing inside of you, and there's this transformative uh, experience, I would imagine, that, that continues to happen in that process, and even still, Lauren, I was talking to her about this, Lauren didn't do anything to, like, make it happen as the process went on. Right, like something just in her innately, like she, like I said, she would watch her diet and she would try to exercise and she would try to do the things the doctor told her to do. But then the baby just like formed. He just grew. He just was there. She did a lot with the birth, and that's that's another story. But <laughs> like, it's an amazing thing. And then we look at this psalm, we see this inti- intimate view of what. Uh, God sees as it's happening in this picture. It says, You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. That just being a metaphor for being made in his mother's womb. We get this picture that, right, even especially back then, like they didn't have ultrasounds. All they had was like about the experience I did. All of a sudden, the woman knew there was a change and there was things that were happening and her body was changing and and the people around started to know, but, but that was it. There was just this mystery. They didn't have the science center to go to and see like the different stages from an embryo to a fetus, right? They didn't have... All these things happening, all they saw was this this miracle of sorts of life being formed, being born. And then we look into this this section of the psalm, and, and we get this picture in which that God has made us uniquely. He knows us, but he's known us from before we can imagine. He's known us from the time that we were being formed still. Our our unformed uh, essence is is just being made in our mother's womb and God sees us and is actively and involved. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. God is is working in the process and he's working in the process for all of us when this happens. He's giving us gifts. He's giving us qualities and characteristics. He's he's giving us different physical qualities and abilities. He's, He's at work I don't know exactly what that means, just to be honest. Like, like, It's clear that God is in control. He's sovereign. That's the picture here. And at the same time, like he makes, God, he makes Kyle a musician. I can't sing for anything. I, I would love to be able to play the guitar, and I, I can't do it. I have short fingers. I don't know. Like, but, but I do other things that, that maybe Kyle can't or, or Kyle doesn't. The same is true for you. God God has formed you in your mother's womb. He's given you abilities and, and gifts and things to do and things that others can't do. And he's made it so that you can't do things that others can. And he knows this because he knows you. So we have this picture that, that continues to narrow, right? It's this broad image of God knowing everything. God knows uh, where you go and what you do. You can't get away from him. And, but then this just zooms in even more intimately. God knows you from the moment that you've existed and even before. Right? And in your mother's womb, before you were, you were blood pumping and, and eyes opening and, and mouth preparing to breathe, God had your days written. He could see the life in front of you. every one of them, right, there wasn't something that was going to come up in your life that God wasn't prepared for. There wasn't something that's going to surprise him. There wasn't a decision. There wasn't an action. There wasn't an experience. Everything was before him as you were just being formed. He already knew it. This is a God that isn't bound by physical reality. This is a God that isn't bound by time. This is a God who is beyond and and above and and bigger than that. This is a God who knows us intimately and intricately and is actively involved in our being formed, like our being made, our, our design, as we just sang about. This is a God who knows and is in control. This is true for you. It's true for me. Right? And in this verse, right, this verse is probably most common outside of like literally things people hang on their walls or like Instagram posts. These verses are, are commonly used to promote um, like the sanctity of life. The idea that even uh, in conception, right, that the moment that someone says, whoa, I'm late, I'm pregnant, like God is already at work in the midst of that life. And it's true for the unborn, right? It's true for the child in the womb. And it's true at the other end too, right? If that's what happens in the beginning, it, this intimacy, this, this created in God's image, this dignity and value that we have for life itself because God is actively at work informing it, it's, it's true at the end too. Right, when people are sick, when people are hurting, when people are in pain, when people are suffering uh, due to age or illness, it's true then too, that sanctity, that dignity of life. But, But it's also true for people who, well, people who think differently than us, who believe differently than us, who are born somewhere else than us, another city, another state, another country, People who have more money than us, people who have less money than us, people who are more educated than us. It's true for everybody. Right? That's what we get from this passage is that the, the value, the dignity of human life comes from, from God working in the midst of this. This is a knowledge of who God, uh, this is the knowledge that God has of us, which means that we matter. People matter which is really interesting as we get to the final section because it seems to be in such stark contrast. And honestly, I don't know that I've ever heard this verse, these next few verses, talked about much. Certainly not from this psalm. Verse 19, it says this. "'Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. "'O men of blood, depart from me. "'They speak against you with malicious intent. "'Your enemies take your name in vain.'" Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Let's pray. (laughs) This isn't a commonly preached passage. In fact, it's certainly not a topic that we talk about a lot today because, first, the idea of, of hatred seems antithetical to the whole Jesus on the cross thing, right? Or even just the idea of judgment. And yet, as we dive into this, this section, we see that there's this clear em- emphasis from the psalmist that in some way, this must be a good thing. See, a common criticism of God, at least that I hear, is if God is real, how can so many bad things happen to good people? Right? If God is real, how can there be so much suffering in the world, and that's nothing new. Like, that's a, that's a criticism that goes back ages. And yet I do think it's pretty common today, right? You think about the, the poverty that people experience, the diversity, or excuse me, the division that people uh, encounter, the lack of diversity that people encounter in their groups, both in ideological and other backgrounds, right? The, the things that we experience in this world, there's a lot of criticism to, to ask that question. If God is real, if God is good, how can he let such bad things happen? Well, the reality is he won't, at least not forever. we read this song, we begin to see this picture that God has judgment coming. And thinking about it from the perspective of the psalmists and, and of the Israelites, the enemies of God were, were oftentimes uh, neighboring nations who worshiped other gods, who had armies ready to battle them, and the Israelites had uh, armies ready to defend And so when they're talking about bloodthirsty, uh, angry, those who are are hated, they're talking about enemies who are coming to attack and to kill. Enemies who deny the power of the God of Israel. Enemies who deny the reality of the one true God. Enemies who, who blaspheme that God. They use his name in vain. The Lord. We'll see how strong he is. These are enemies that both physically come to attack and theologically, right, from their religious backgrounds attack the religion of the Israelites. And so now they've come to gather and worship, uh, the Israelites have gathered to worship God and they think about the, the world around them and the hostility that they're experiencing and the hatred that they're experiencing and they think about what it means for a good God to rule, for a good king to reign, wouldn't it be to protect his people? Wouldn't it be to put an end to evil? Wouldn't it be for God to stop these things? If God is good, shouldn't he be a good judge? Right? If he is good and he is sovereign, that is he is in control, then shouldn't he have control over all of these things that are happening? Shouldn't he be able to put an end to them? Shouldn't he be able to stop them? Yeah. Right? Either he doesn't care or he has a different plan. If he has a different plan, it's because his his grace, his mercy, his love is bigger than the momentary suffering, bigger than the experiences that they're having, bigger than the hatred of their enemy. And that's where we get to the introspective part. It's in these final two verses, twenty three and twenty four, it says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Remember, let's go back real quick because this is like very similar to the first verse but a little different. It says in verse one, oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You've already done it, God. You've seen me. You've looked over me. You understand who I am. But in the end, it says this, search me, O God, and know my heart. That's, that's like a command or a prayer, saying, God, do this. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And this is where the beauty of poetry comes in. Because we can read this psalm a few different ways depending on what we're experiencing in our hearts right now. Because the reality is, is that we can read this psalm from a point of pride, we can understand that God knows us. We can understand there's no place to hide from him. And then we can, we can read this section about our enemies and think that God needs to bring judgment. Right? In other words, I read this and say, God, you know everything I've done. God, you've seen how generous I am. God, you've seen the things I've, I've done to help people. God, you know how often I've read my Bible. God, you know that I'm a, a good husband or at least a decent one. God, you know me. God, I couldn't hide from you anyway. God, there, there's no way I could do anything that you couldn't see. Like, there's, I couldn't hide in the darkness, God. You, you see me there, and so God, you know that I am good. <laughs> those people? God, come on, those Like, I don't even want to be around those people. God, those people are crazy. God, those people, I don't, I don't like those people. You don't like those people. I don't even associate with those people. Search me, God. Know that I am good know that there's nothing in me that you wouldn't celebrate. You could sing that, you could read that and recite it. Maybe that's not where you're coming from, maybe you come from more of a a place of guilt or shame. And you begin to read this again You say, God, you know me, God, you know how I've lived my life, you know all the things I've done, God, you know you know who I am, God. You've seen it. I don't want to talk about it, but you've seen it. God, you are at work, and God, I know. I know you're going to bring judgment. I, I know that these people. Like, I, I hope I'm not like them. I hope I'm not as bad as them, God. But I don't know, God. Right, and so in pride and in shame and guilt, either way, it divides us from God, right? It, it takes this idea that God knows us, he sees us, he, he's built us intimately with him, and yet there's nothing we can do to really bring us closer to him. But in light of the gospel, we begin to understand that that, that group of enemies, that's, that's who we started as. We begin to understand that God knows us and he's seen all the things we've done. There's no need for guilt and shame. He's seen that we are not perfect. He's seen that we have committed sins. He's seen that we have rejected him. He's seen it and saw it before we were ever born. He knew it was coming. And he still formed us. He knit us together in our mother's womb. He created us in his image. He gave us gifts and abilities and talents. And he brought us to be with other people in a community surrounded by his glory. Because he loves us. And so we begin to see that God knows us. And as we read these last verses, God continues to search us and reveal in us uh, the things that are falling short, the things that that pull us away from him because he can continue to transform us. We call it sanctification. It means being made holy. What that really means is that I wanna live my life to follow Jesus. I wanna live my life in a way that I continue to reflect him more and more to the glory of God. Because the blood of Christ changes everything because the sacrifice that he made on the cross changes my heart and reveals to me that God does know me. God knows the things I've done that I'm ashamed of. God knows the things I've done that I'm proud of. And neither of those things is what matters. It's the things that Christ did in his death and resurrection that bring me to the intimacy of the God who knows me in a way that I can't do on my own, in a way that I desire and long for and that he desires and has created a path for me to turn to, to life everlasting, Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. God, we thank you that we could gather and that you would uh, give us a word to encourage us and guide us. Lord, we pray that you would, that you would work in our hearts to the power of your spirit, bringing us conviction where there is sin, bringing us hope where there is hopelessness, bringing us joy and peace where there is shame and guilt. Father, to know that uh, through Christ on the cross, we have been saved. We've been rescued. We've been brought to know you, God the God who knows us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.